0: good morning from my side. Welcome to part five of our series on hearing God. I imagine that for many of us, uh, this is something where we're looking for some fairly uh, concrete suggestions and ideas. Uh, Maybe there have been some things that we've spoken about over the last few weeks that have kind of resonated within yourself in terms of this ache and this yearning to hear God. I do hope uh, that if you were here last week, and in fact, even if you weren't, that you listened to the message during the week, but if you were here last week, that you would have been encouraged to actually look for opportunities in this past week to actually try and find an opportunity to encourage someone to maybe actually sense or discern a word from God for somebody without being weird and flaky and fruity about it, without, without, without using a different voice or, or necessarily quoting God, but just, just, to actually, um, just to actually start to exercise this muscle. I cannot encourage you enough. Uh, if you are, if you're on a journey with God and you're trying to learn to follow God, I cannot encourage you enough that this is a journey, and it is. These are muscles that we exercise. We 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 exercise our listening muscles. We we exercise our obedience muscles. Don't wait for God to like possess you and manifest through you. That's from the other side. That's not how God does it. He invites, he encourages, he equips, he he, he reminds us, um, but we've actually got to step out in faith. We've actually got to exercise. And also, I can't help wanting to encourage you. Please, for the love of everything holy. Please, please, please. Can you fight back against this lie and this deception that this is for those people? Like, like as though like, what are you? You know, every now and then we'll, we'll hear people making comments about, like, yeah, but that's for, like, the church people, or that's for, like, I'm like, but, you, what are you, are you like, I mean, I'm talking about people that are in the church, people that are in a life group, people that are, in, like, wait, what, are you not a Christian? Because if you're a Christian, in other words, if you're trying to follow Jesus, there is no us and them in terms of, well, they, they, they are extra special, they're extra, just come live with us for a week. You'll, you will be, you'll be horribly disappointed as to whatever you may think is us and them, Um, And and that goes for anyone that you think is them. These are normal people. Read the New Testament. Jesus' early followers, His disciples, His leaders, the apostles, they they were horribly ordinary. The Bible doesn't cover up failures, mistakes, egos, prejudice. It doesn't cover that stuff up. They were normal people. So can I encourage you, please? Hearing God is for you and for me. Being able to encourage someone else is for you and for me. Being able to walk closely with God and actually live out the adventure that He has planned for you is for you and for me. For crying out loud, stop the us and them scenario, okay? Have I I shared the burden? All right. Then I I want to go back a couple of weeks before that as well. We took a look at how one of the primary ways that God speaks to us is actually through His written word, the Bible. And we we showed a quick video that made reference to research that shows us that people that uh, have exposure to the Bible. So whether it is through a church service like this or reading or whatever the case is, once a week, twice a week, three times a week, there is a nominal effect on their lives. But then something shifts when it goes up to four times a week, when there is this increased consistency in terms of actually engaging with the word of God. And so we've encouraged you towards the four by four by four challenge. So we're we're encouraging you. I'm like, what have you got to lose? Just try it out. Okay, where you try and, and, and engage with Scripture four times a week, four weeks a month for four months. I really hope you don't stop after four months. But I'm like, if you if you can actually commit to this for four months, I'll be so surprised. In fact, in fact, come and tell me if if you have consistently and you've tried to have the right heart, you've tried to have the right attitude. Come and tell me if you have been consistent f- at least four times a week four weeks a month for four months, come and tell me if you're like Jason, that's all a boil of cheese. Like, this was useless. In fact, I'm actually more irritable. I'm, 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 I'm less loving. I'm less peaceful. Like, seriously, I'd, like, that's the challenge. If you want to prove me wrong, prove me wrong. But it has to be with a heart that's saying, God, if this is real, if this is true, if engaging with your word and trying to respond and obey. Because I would dare to suggest that for most people, it'd be the complete opposite. I'm not saying that you'll be a whole nother person. I'm not saying that your children and your wife and your uncles and aunts and in-laws are going to be like bowing down and worshiping you because you're like the second Messiah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not suggesting any of that, but I am suggesting that there will be something different. I am suggesting that there'll be a little bit more love, a little bit more joy, a little bit more peace, a little bit more perspective, a little bit more self-control, a little bit more clarity on, on how God actually wants us to not just survive each day, but to actually live each day and, and try and live on purpose. Four by four by four, four times a week, four weeks a month for four months, and then hopefully God will help you to, you know, continue with it. And then uh, two weeks ago, we spoke about fasting. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> for now, just start reading the Bible, if you're not reading the Bible. But, but I, I do think that, I know we've had many people sign up for life groups that would have had the first week this past, uh, this past week. If, you, if you're in a group and you're doing the fasting practice, can I encourage you to practice the practice? This is not just for information. Yeah. In fact, in fact, if ever there's a time where this is not just an informational exercise, it's for fasting. Like we need to actually do it. And I would argue that the more we do it consistently and as a rhythm, again, I think you're going to turn around and you're going to be surprised. I don't know if I'm to unpack that. You can go back to the message, or otherwise, hopefully you're in a group where you're digging into a little bit deeper. So a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about the Bible. I'm going to go back to the Bible today, but I'm wanting to change our approach in that I'm wanting to explain to you how we can pray the Bible. Part of how we can hear God is not just reading the Bible, but also actually reflecting on it, responding to it, and actually praying the Bible back to Him. It is important, please don't miss this, it is important that we learn to read the Bible properly, that we learn to read it objectively, that we learn to, to you know, even how to read those portions that are historical, that we're not seeing it as uh, doctrine when, when. The Bible records that Abraham lied about his wife Sarah and put her into jeopardy. Like that's not, that is not doctrine for you to now lie about your wife and put her into, it's just an account. Yeah. And so you read this as a narrative and, you, and, you, and, and you're trying to pick up lessons, you're trying to pick up what, what God did and, and how things worked out through it. So how you read history, how you read poetry and the wisdom literature and and where to pay attention in the Gospels, the first four books of the Bibles or, or, the, or the, uh, of the New Testament or the letters that are written to various Christians and churches and, and, where, and where it's not just an account but where it's actually an instruction. Like it's important for us to know how to read the Bible. But it's also, so that's like kind of with our heads. But if it doesn't go beyond our heads to our hearts, it just remains an intellectual exercise. And I believe personally that you can have your Ph.D. in theology, in biblical literature. You can be teaching theology at university to seminary students and not be in a relationship with God. So make no mistake, it's not just about knowledge. Knowledge alone and, and, and different passages of Scripture that have been taken out of context has caused untold damage. Huge amounts of hurt to people. So, so it's not just about information, it's for transformation, and perhaps more than anything else, it's for us to hear God, to actually draw close to God and to allow that relationship to take place. So we wanted to move from the head to the heart. Ruth Haley Barton puts it this way, we need a way of approaching Scripture that will move us very concretely from an over-reliance on information gathering alone to an experience of Scripture as a place of intimate encounter. Like, we can actually have an intimate encounter with God on a fairly consistent basis. And again, I would argue that the more consistent we are, the more likely we are to actually experience that intimacy. So, to be very, very simple and clear, and I'll unpack these in a few moments, what I'm encouraging you to do in terms of your approach, how do we pray the Bible, how do we try and shift it from going down from the head to the heart, is looking at a couple of different R's. We need to relax when we come to the Bible, read, reflect, respond, and rest. Relax, read, reflect, respond, rest. Let's start with relax. I cannot encourage you enough that when we are trying to block out some focused time with God, some some solitude, when we are wanting to come to His Word, it's going to be so hard for us. It was just another thing that we're scrolling through on our screen as opposed to us actually slowing down stopping, resting, relaxing. Some of you are familiar with Psalm 46 verse 10 where it says that we are to be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that I am God. Ruth A. Barton says that the Hebrew word translated be still literally means let go of the grip. In other words, there's a relaxing that takes place. As I come to my time with God, as I come to prayers, I come to reading his word. I wanna encourage you, where possible, to start with trying to relax. And that might sound a lot easier said than done. And it is, easier said than done. (laughs) Depending on your personality, and depending on what's going on in your mind, and and that's why, and this is not true for everybody. I know that for some people, like even the Lord might not wanna spend time with you first thing in the morning. But, (laughs) I'm saying that tongue in cheek. But, but But the reason why I think it is so valuable for so many people, if you have a mind like mine, is that it's kind of like if you look at a pond, which is completely still. The moment you throw a pebble into it and, and just these ripples start to take place, my, my brain, I feel like I'm living with a constant mind that is like just rippling nonstop. So first thing in the morning for me, if I can spend time with God before I put my phone on, and I mean that literally, not metaphorically. Like, it'll be on flight mode. So if I miss a meeting, don't phone me, I won't hear you, okay? Uh, I, I need to actually spend some time with God and spend time in the Word before If I I receive a single notification, it's game over for me most of the time. So so that's when my mind is is a little bit more calm and a little bit more receptive. But that might not be the case for you first thing in the morning. Maybe that's easy for you to do at the end of the day. Um, But for us to actually slow down, let go of the grip, to actually be still where possible, be still. Nothing wrong with listening to um, the Bible or or, or to the lecture. 365 devotional, whatever, while you're doing something else. Nothing wrong with that, but, but I want to encourage you to have time where you are still. So do that as well, but be still. Be quiet. Be silent. Breathe in and out intentionally and slowly, and actually try and slow your body down. Try and slow your mind down to actually be present with God. There is very little that we can experience on a deep level, in a hurry, in the same way that we can when slowing down we experience gratitude on a deeper level when we slow down we experience intimacy on a deeper level when we slow down we're able to to experience God giving us peace on a deeper level when we slow down there's there's plenty of time to rush if there's an emergency rush don't slow down but I would argue that for a deep work to take place in our lives which I think deep down we want We want a deep work to take place. I think that for that deep work to take place, we've actually got to slow down. And just maybe by means of a mental picture, those of you that that have ever gone for a ride or or a walk along the Atlantic seaboard, especially as you go kind of around Bantry Bay, Clifton, Camus Bay, uh, maybe around 12 Apostles, Chapman's Peak, et cetera, you know that it's a different experience when you're driving, or maybe if you're not driving and you're like, and you're like hoping that the person driving drives well. But there's, there's a difference between going at speed. Now, it's beautiful. You can, you can look around and it's like, wow, this is beautiful. It's very different when you're maybe cycling that same route. So you're going a little bit slower if you can breathe. You, you, you're, you're taking it in a little bit more deeply. And then it's a whole other level when you are walking or going for a jog. The slower we are, the more we can take in. And then, and then it's a whole another story. If you actually go and like, you maybe take one of the paths down, you go and just sit. And you just be, and you can just take in, like one of the most majestic views of a coastal line in the world. Nothing wrong with, with traveling at speed when necessary, but there's something that sinks in more deeply when we slow down. So I want to encourage you to relax. Let go of the grip. And <clears throat> for those of you that know what I'm referring to, I would even encourage you to maybe start with two minutes of silence. Jason, what Silence. Like, just silence, where you don't feel the need to say a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe maybe there is a single phrase. that. So for me, for example, I will often pray repeatedly, Lord, help me to be present with you. And then I'll work hard to try and be present. Lord, help me to be present with you. And it can take me long. We don't always have that kind of time, but just, again, I think muscle memory kicks in if this becomes part of our routine. So... Before anything else, let's relax. Number two, we read. So I want to encourage this is particularly in the context. Now, this doesn't have to only be applied in the context of, of shorter passages, but the model that I'm explaining today is best practice. Like you'll experience the most uh, fruit of this practice if we are reading a fixed passage, like a small-ish passage as opposed to trying to read several chapters at a time. Nothing wrong with that, and especially if it's like a historical narrative, but but for the most part. This is a lot easier to do when choosing a particular passage and where we don't worry. So you read it the first time. We don't worry about overanalyzing it. We're just, we're just scanning over it quickly. As an example, so this isn't part of the teaching. I want to give you a passage of example, which, which I think is, is quite easy for many of us to respond to. And some of you will be familiar with this. Galatians 6 verse 7, as an example. Let's say you just read these few verses the first time. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's an example of a passage that you're reading. It's like four verses. Um, Chances are on your Bible, you'll see it put together in one paragraph. The idea is just to read it. But then I want to move on to step three, which is to reflect on it. So you actually read it again. This time you are, you're looking out for, but again, you're doing this prayerfully. Prayerfully you're saying, God, please would you cause any thought, any concept, any word that you want to bring to the surface. In others, we're getting a little bit more subjective. And yes, there's a risk of subjectivity. And you always want to make sure that, that anything subjective that you think you're taking away from the passage does actually fit into the context of the rest of Scripture. We're, we're not wanting to give an excuse for heresy. But, but we are looking for something personal, just like when you're trying to hear God just simply in prayer. You're saying, God, what do you want me to do with this? Or what do you want me to do with that? You, yes, that's subjective. Tammy spoke last week about how we need to weigh these things up. And obviously, the more significant it is, the more we need to weigh and wait. um, and kind of like wrestle over these things. But let's say, let's say we're going to read through it now slowly a second time, and I want you, if possible, if your ADD hasn't kicked in yet, to actually try and look out for a phrase or a word from this passage. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, bless you, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, I can guarantee you that if you were to reflect on that again a third time and maybe even a fourth time, there are going to be different parts of this passage that are going to stand out to different people, not because it's not the same message, but just because right now, in this moment, in this season, God is perhaps trying to bring your attention to a particular thought, to a particular truth. For some people, it would be that last part where it's like, You know what? I don't actually often think about doing good for other believers. And maybe in some unique way as you are reflecting. Because remember, we are now praying the Bible. Prayer is communication. Prayer is listening. It's speaking. It's being. So we are now, we're trying to be present with God. We're relaxed with Him. We've read it. We're reflecting. We're trying to look out for God. Is there anything that you are actually wanting to point out to me? And for some people, it could be simply, God, who do you want me to do good for this week? For someone else, it could just simply be this idea that God won't be mocked. Maybe, maybe you've been consistent with a certain discipline for a while. Maybe you've been trying to honor God in the area for a while and you feel like there's no real fruit for it. You're not seeing a harvest for it. And so maybe just simply that one section encourages you where he's saying, Hey, 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 I won't be mocked. Yeah. You will reap what you, what you sow. Yeah, but I don't know. If, no, you will. Yeah, but no, I won't be mocked. And and something sinks in from our minds, from, from this intellectual, yeah, oh, sure, go and be mocked, you know, blah blah blah, read what we say, you know. To okay, wait. I've actually got strength for another day. Yeah. I've actually got strength for another week, I've got strength for another season because you know what? I I believe it. It's it's sinking into my bones. God won't be mocked. Yeah. For someone else, it could just be this idea that, whoa. I think I've been sowing a lot to the flesh lately. Flesh not being the body, but but my sinful appetite, my carnal appetites. And so I'm wondering why there's this tension going on in my life. I'm wondering why why I'm struggling in my thought life, or why I'm struggling in my priorities, or why I'm struggling with, with with what I want to spend my money on, or, or how diligent I am at work or school. And 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 God, in his kind, gracious way, maybe brings to your attention that that I'm again, he's not going to be mocked. If I'm going to keep feeding this fleshly side of me, well, it's not going to bring peace and clarity and focus and, you know, life-giving stuff. We need to know how to let the Bible read us, not just us read the Bible. So where we are looking out for maybe what am I feeling in response to some of the stuff that I'm reading or why do I feel this way? Like, why does that trigger me? Why does that frustrate me or provoke me in some way what does it tell me about myself and again Ruth A. Barton suggests that we should pay attention to the scriptures that we want to ignore or avoid anybody have some scriptures that if you haven't found those you're just not reading enough of the bible trust me trust me there is enough in the bible where it's like oh just quickly skip over that one and move on to move on to the other part so relax, read, reflect. And in terms of the reading and reflecting, I would suggest that you do this a few times, like sit with the passage if you can. This doesn't, this doesn't have to take as long as, as this might sound. Again, you're looking at like three or four verses, depending on, on, the, on the personality and the person and the time that you have available. I, I, I want to encourage you, this is why consistency is so important, because I think too often we do it too irregularly, and so we want the, the one moment when we do do it occasionally to be this like life-changing like, transformation type of moment, but, but it's actually okay for it to rather be on the consistent side, and then over time, like, why can't you sit in a passage like that for a week? Or two weeks? Yeah. Do you think God's, like, 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 trying to hurry this thing up? Do you think God's concerned that you get to the next bit of information, or is He more concerned with us actually engaging with, being affected by, and responding to, and being obedient to and allowing transformation to take place. I think all of heaven would be far more excited about us spending six months in a passage and actually looking to obey it and to do something in us and us actually become more like Jesus than us just moving on from, you know, passage to passage. So it brings us to number four, which is to respond. We don't want to just be hearers, we actually want to be doers. We actually want to respond to the word. We're not just reading for transformation, but for information. Dallas Willard puts this in a very sobering way in his book, Hearing God. He says, in general, not in general, So just it's okay, not always, but in general, knowledge tends to be destructive when held by anything less than a mature character, thoroughly permeated by love and humility. He goes on to say some more hectic stuff. I just thought I'd leave it there. Like, like unless, unless we have a humble, mature attitude, knowledge can actually do a lot of damage. John Oak Bird takes it up a notch. And he says, to be filled with knowledge about the Bible, but to be unwashed by it, is worse than not knowing it at all. Should we just have an altar call right now? Eh? We can all just come and repent how does god want me to apply this if that's god, i'm just telling you you're wasting your time if that's not long term long term over time if that's not if that's not the posture with which we are coming to the word of god if that's not the posture with which we are coming to god i want to hear you if 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 i'm not wanting to hear god in order to obey trust and obey like if you were god why would you communicate to me if i have no intention of responding to what you're saying to me. James 1 verse 22 says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, who are you fooling? We're only fooling ourselves. Jesus in Matthew seven twenty four says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. And if you know that passage, it then goes on to say the opposite. Those of you that, that hear my words, so he's so saying everything's exactly the same, excepting you don't obey it. So you hear my teaching, you hear my words, and you don't. but you don't put it into practice. The rains come, the winds blow, and your house is destroyed. So outside of a storm, those who obey and those who disobey, your lives look exactly the same. You can have the most beautiful palace. If you've you've been paying attention to the news over the last while, like like you've probably seen a few houses washed away in parts of the world lately. In some cases, some nice houses. Because of what it's built on. And it can't withstand what's happening with some of the natural forces. So, outside of a storm, our lives can look exactly the same. But if you want to see the difference between whether or not we're actually trusting and obeying or not. It's what happens when the you-know-what hits the fan. <laughs> the poo is what I was thinking. <laughs> Psalm 119 verse 7 speaks to the attitude that we should have. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. That's how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to express my gratitude. God, you've spoken. I'm going to thank you by living the way that I should. Lastly. And this is big. This is a big, 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 big deal, especially for for the Type A personalities and the overachievers where it's like, just okay, Jason, okay, boom, I've got it. I've already got to figure it out. I'm going I've got this worked out for the rest of the week. That's great. But I want to encourage you that there's also an element that we come back to, similar to where we started, which is that we need to rest. There's a, there's a resting in God when we've done what we can. So we have positioned ourselves, we've tried to hear, we are trying to obey. If you think about going back to Galatians 6, verse 7 to 10, you, you keep sowing, you keep trusting, you keep resting that the harvest will come in due season. The farmer isn't going to help the harvest come any quicker if he's, if he's standing there a couple of hours each day, like just watching, watching. Where's the shoot? How much has it grown? You've got a little measuring thing out. If he's done what he can, if he's sown the seeds, if he's turned the soil, if he's watered, he's he's done what he can, Jesus actually uses an example as a parable where he says, the farmer goes to sleep. He doesn't know how it grows, but he goes and he rests. Found in Mark 4, verse 26. It's not up on the screen. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. When you're doing what you can, there has to be I think I'm going back to letting go of the group. Okay, God, I'm going to trust the outcome to you. I'm going to trust the results to you. Jesus put it this way in John 15, verse 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If we will just abide in him. The word abide is where we get the word abode from, which is the same or synonym for home. If we'll make our home in him. And allow him to make his home in us. We'll bear fruit. There is an element of resting. Not striving. Not, not, not walking away from your time with God. So anxious that I'm going to get this perfect. And, and it's going to be like, a, like, like the angels are marking. And it's like you're in the, you know, in the top three percentile of all other douchebag Christians that are maybe not getting this right. No, no. It's God, help me to do, help me to do my best. Psalm 37 verse 4 and 5. You might be familiar with the first part. We've spoken about this. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the heart's desires. Then it goes into verse 5 saying, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him. And you know what? He'll help you. We rest. We rest. Isn't it beautiful that we start off by actually relaxing and resting in Him? And we end off. By trying to actually walk in that rest. By continuing to rest in Him. But again, I want to encourage you that consistency is critical. More important than good intentions. More important than this amazing, perfect plan to get through the Bible in a year. Which is, if you can do that, great. If you have, if your life is, you're in that stage of life where you have that amount of margin. But if you cannot make it consistent, then adjust how you're trying to, how much you're trying to get through. Again, Ruth Haley Barton puts it this way. Over time, our body and soul responds to established rhythms. Four by four by four. It responds to established rhythms. So eventually the very act of entering this this set-apart time and place ushers us into our own inner sanctuary. In other words, the more consistent we are, and some of you know this to be true, when you when you're managing to spend that that, that that focused time, that solitude with God on a more consistent level, you find that it seems to take less effort, less work to get into the space because you're being consistent. It has become an established rhythm. Let me end where I started. Psalm 46 verse 10 Be still And know that I am God. Let go of the grip. Let go of the grip. And as you do that, let me encourage you and remind you that a young child, because Jesus encourages us to come to the Father like children, right? A young child is not at peace because it understands how its mother's milk is produced. A child that is feeding a child that is being sustained by its mother, it is not experiencing peace because it understands all the physiology and everything that's, that's going into this. It doesn't have an arrangement. It hasn't signed a contract with his mother. It doesn't understand it all. Or how the jar of baby food was formulated and manufactured. A child has peace because it is in the presence of a trustworthy parent. So there's a place for understanding. I'm all for understanding, and I think God wants to give us understanding. But why I want to encourage you to start with rest or relaxing and to end with rest is because you're coming into the presence of a trustworthy parent. And I think that our spiritual enemy's greatest goal is to do everything he possibly can to sow doubt into our minds and hearts as to whether or not he is a good father, a trustworthy father, someone that is faithful. That's why when we we were singing those words earlier, you are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. For many of us, something wells up, there's a gratitude, there's a confidence, there's a peace that comes from, from being reminded, he is good. He is a good father. You know, as we were singing that song, and, and the one before that this morning, I was just thinking about some of you and some of the things that you're facing. In some cases, family members that you're burdened over. And, I, and I was just, I'm just, with, there's just so much peace and saying, God, please, would you encourage them there? Would you give wisdom? Would you bring strength? Would you remind them that you are good? Because when you're facing uncertainty and you're hoping, but you're seeing reality, Sometimes we can, we can have the edge rubbed off. That God is good. He is good. He is good. We can move on to the next idea or the next encouragement, but there is something to be said for sitting with, focusing on, meditating on, chewing on a single, simple truth. And that's how I think we can pray the Bible. That's why worship is so much more than just some people leading us in a song. It's, it's, it's not helping us sing, it's helping us see. It's helping us, it's helping us focus on the truth about who God is. It's slowing us down. And even when there are repetitive lines, it's, it is to reflect again and reflect again and reflect again and reflect again and reflect again because we need to chew on Digest, metabolize these truths. Pray the Bible. Pray the worship song, as long as it's theologically correct. And not just, Jesus be my boyfriend and, you know, and bless me, help me. Heal. You know, no, no, I mean, come on, man. Do you, have you ever noticed when you're singing a song or reflecting on a song that's actually declaring His goodness, His faithfulness, His majesty, that, that, that it, it like shifts gears for you? Let's pray the Bible. I want to encourage you, whether it's a short passage or maybe you have the time to read long passages, relax, read, definitely make sure you reflect. Very little value comes out of just reading the Bible. Reflect on the Bible. Respond. God, how do you want me to respond? What does obedience look like? And then rest in Him as you go into your day, as you go into your week, as you go into that season. Make sense? sense?